going to read the entirety of the passage, John 14, 16 through 27. Jesus speaking said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words and the words which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. I want to preach to you for a little bit on this title, The Gift of His Spirit. The Gift of His Spirit. God bless you. You may be seated. And I made a few notes. Actually, I rearranged my sermon quite a bit, and I want to start with probably an introduction that I should have used last week. I don't know if you've ever heard, how many of you have heard of the Book of Charlie? The Book of Charlie. He lived, it was a man who lived here in Kansas City, and the reason he is special, if, if, it, if he could be called that, is because he lived to be 109 years old. The man who wrote the book met him when Charlie was 102, and Charlie was out washing his girlfriend's car at the age of 102. He would have seven more years, and the book of Charlie is interesting in a lot of different ways. It kind of chronicles the the life of Charlie, but not only does it chronicle his life, but it chronicles what is going on in the surrounding area what is happening here in Kansas City, and even what is happening in those time periods when he is, he is being born and raised up here in Kansas City, and the Model T, and radio, and the invention of all of that. Can you imagine the things that you could see in 109 years? That when he's born, there is no automobile, and when he dies, there's iPhones, and jet airplanes, and he saw a lot in his lifetime. And Charlie had a knack for minimizing the painful things in life. The author of the book would mention that he very seldom would dwell on painful things. He would kind of gloss over those painful things. And his outlook on life was that 
hey, it happened, it's bad, move on. But he noted one thing about Charlie, who was eight years old, I believe, when he lost his father in an elevator accident at a downtown building. He noted that when Charlie and he were talking, if a little boy was walking by with his dad, that he would get sad looking at that scene, thinking, I'm sure, about the moments that he did not share with his father, the moments that he did not have those interactions. He loved his father. His father was the center of his life, and then his father passing away. And the author of the book would say that loneliness seemed to be the most painful memory that he had. This loneliness of being without his father, or this loneliness for others of being without the ones they love. I can't imagine, as I mentioned, the Garza family and what they're going through at the loss of their 21-year-old daughter. And, and Pastor Mark Garza would say yesterday, he said, I'm not struggling with the fact that she's in heaven, and I'm not struggling with the fact that she is in the arms of Jesus. He said, the struggle I have is that she's not in my arms, and it's that Death causes us, even if we're not worried about their eternal destiny, death causes that separation. And really, we grieve for ourselves. When we know they're going to heaven, we grieve for ourselves because it is our loss and it is our loneliness. And last week, I almost titled my message, Never Alone, because this is what Jesus is talking about. I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you on your own. I'm going to come to you, that I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he would say of himself, I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you, and we're going to talk in more detail about what that means. But last week, we looked at three points that I drew from this, and the first is this, is that God gives the Holy Spirit as our helper, and as such, we are never alone, and God gives the Holy Spirit to be with us forever. And as His Spirit is with us, once again, we are never alone. It is His design that God would live in us as the Spirit, and that He gives the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth. Today, I want to pull three more truths from this passage. The first one is this, that God gives the Holy Spirit as Christ in us. He would say this, that, He abides with you. He said, you know Him because He abides with you and He will be in you. The end of verse 17, Jesus makes this declaration that He is that coming Holy Spirit. Not just that it's another spirit of the same kind or another helper of the same kind, but He would say, He abides with you and will be in you. Who is abiding with them? It is Jesus. He is walking with them. He is talking with them. And he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This understanding that it is Christ who is living in us. That it is Christ in this spirit form who is living in us. And aren't you thankful that when you get and you come into a relationship with Jesus, you get everything that He is, that you get Christ living on the inside of you as the empowering Holy Spirit of God. How do we know that the Holy Spirit is Christ in us? Jesus would say this, He abides with you. He will be in you. He will not be, you will not be orphans. 
This idea of orphans even uses this father language, who is an orphan, those who do not have parents. But Jesus said, I'm not leaving you like that. I am coming to you. I will be in you. And he would make this other statement that the world can't see him. The world cannot receive him. So why is it that the world can't see Jesus Christ? It is simply this, because you don't receive the Spirit unless you believe on the biblical Christ as the Scripture has said. Jesus in John 7 would say at that great day of the feast, He said, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink of the waters of life freely, and I will, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water, but this make he of the Spirit who those that believe on him as the Scripture should, uh, says, would receive this Holy Spirit. He makes this declaration that you have to believe on Him as the Scripture says. So the world doesn't believe on the biblical Jesus. I've talked and mentioned this whole AI Jesus thing, but it's been, a long, it's, it's been long before AI that people have created their own Jesus. That they would create Jesus in their own image. Just this past week in conversation, talking about this idea and this understanding of who Jesus is is the crux of all, if I could say it this way, Christian cults. That when people trying to understand how Jesus can be God and man, how He can walk the earth yet be the eternal Spirit of God, that can fry your brain. Which is why Paul would say in his first letter to Timothy, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Who's manifest in the flesh? God was. How does he do that? I don't know. It's beyond my full comprehension, but what I have to believe is this, is that Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. He is God revealed in human flesh walking around on this earth. And people will try to decide and try to decipher who he is. Which is why we get people who believe in multiple deities. They will believe in more than one God. And others will say that He is all man and He's not God at all. Because the Bible is clear there's one God. And if Jesus is this one God, and how do you reconcile this language of Father and Son? And I, and I talked about that last week. They can't reconcile that. And others will say that He's all man. Others say He's all God and some create that he's angels, he's an angel come in human form, or he's Michael the archangel, or he's the half-brother of Lucifer. All manner of things, but it's because they're trying to decide who Jesus is. But Jesus is clear, you have to believe on him as the scripture says. And that a false belief about Jesus will not result in you getting and receiving the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The world can't see Jesus physically, nor can we, but we see him as revealed as the Holy Spirit, that it is Christ in us, the hope of glory. It is Christ in us that is living and helping us. And Jesus, or the Paul would say of Jesus, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. It's pretty clear. If you don't have the Spirit of Christ living inside of you, what spirit is that? Are you getting two spirits? Are you getting the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Christ? No, it's one Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is that Spirit of Christ. 
that will dwell in us. And if you don't have that, Paul would say, you are none of His. He would go on to write, if the Spirit that dwelt in Christ dwell in you, it will also quicken your mortal bodies. What's he talking about? That just as Jesus was raised from the dead, we shall be raised from the dead too. If we are dead in Christ, when the trumpet sounds, we will be raised to to be with Him forever, but it's only if the Spirit that dwelt in Christ dwells in us. And when we receive the Spirit, we are raised to walk in newness of life. It is what changes us from the old creature to these new creatures in Christ Jesus. A lot of theology there. But just understand, you're only getting one Spirit. You're not getting two spirits, you're not getting three spirits, that when you receive the Holy Spirit, you are getting all that God is and all that He has for you, and it is the Spirit that was in Christ Jesus. The second truth is found in verses 21 to 26 of our text. It says this, that God gives the Holy Spirit based on our obedience to the Word. You've heard this common refrain over the last few months as many passages that I've dealt with talks about obeying the Word of God and obeying the Gospel and obeying what He has commanded us. If you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus would say it differently here in John 14, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. It's flipped around here Different than it is in John 15, the same truth. If you have His commandments and you keep them, you do it because you love Him. Whereas in John 15, He would say, if you love me, keep my commandments. They go hand in hand, this Word of God and the commandments of God and the Holy Spirit. Once again, Judas doesn't understand what's going on. He doesn't understand how... The world is not going to see Jesus, and those who are his disciples will see him. And Jesus ties it back to his word. I I should have brought a Bible. I have dozens of Bibles on this device here, and on my phone, and on my computer, and many of you do too. How many of you read your Bible on on an app? Raise your hand. How many of you read hardcover Bibles or, you know, physical Bibles? I moved into the electronic age a long time ago, maybe to my detriment. But it doesn't matter whether it's an electronic or digital Bible or it's a physical Bible with that great Bible onion skin paper, soft calf skin leather that feels like butter. It doesn't matter how you read it. Let me rephrase that. It doesn't matter in what form you read it, whether it's on a device. It does matter how you read it. You've got to read it in a way that you can understand it. There are hermeneutics involved. Look at your, look at your neighbor and say hermeneutics. Now, I'm not going to explain what all that means right now, but just understand it's the art and science of biblical interpretation. It's how we interpret Scripture, and it does matter how we read it. But how, what, what you're looking at, as long as it's the Word of God, it doesn't matter what form it's in, digital, paper, hardback, leather cover, on your phone, on an iPad, on a computer, none of that really matters. 
What matters is that we have His Word. and We have, in essence, the commandments of God. Jesus ties loving Him and keeping His commandments, and He does it in this context of receiving the Holy Spirit that He's going to send this other helper. Verse 21, it was this love for Jesus and obedience to His Word that He mentions. You have His commandments, you keep His commandments if you love Me. Verse 23, He would say failure to obey the Word is failure to love Jesus. Only those who love Jesus, He would then say, obey His Word, and consequently they find Him. So, all of us would have had situations where we have loved ones, that whether it's parents or grandparents, somebody in your life, and they would tell you to do something and you literally wouldn't want to do it. How many of you had your parents or grandparents or somebody in authority tell you to do something and you didn't want to do it? Anybody? Just me. Once again, you don't have to learn that. It happens at about six months of age. You look at your parents and be like, no. You may not say no, but you're, trying, you're thinking no. You just can't get it out. You'll shake your head no. But there comes a, a time when you understand that you do things when your parents tell you or your grandparents tell you just because you love them. I don't understand it. I don't want to do it. I'm just doing it because I love you. With Jesus, it's even much more important. I don't understand everything He wants us to do or the reasons why He wants us to do everything He wants us to do. I do my best to come up with reasons and rationale using the Scripture to explain the principles and the application of the Scripture, but I don't get it all, and I've been doing this for a long time. But when I know what His Word says... Even if I don't understand it, he doesn't say, if you understand it, keep my commandments. But if you love me, keep my commandments. What are the words that we need to keep? Ultimately, it is all of them. The Great Commission is a good place to start. And in fact, if you look at the Great Commission, which is to teach them, to baptize them, and then to teach them all things whatsoever, I have commanded you, teach them to observe or obey everything. It's part of the Great Commission. It's part of our salvation. You don't just get saved and then it's like, go do whatever you want. No, you convert people and then you teach them to obey everything he has commanded. But I would say this, you can't obey it all today. You can't come to Jesus and all of a sudden you just, everything is perfect in your life. That you're living, in fact, when you come to Jesus You don't know the half of what you're getting into. When you come to Jesus, what you're really doing is this. You're saying, I realize that I'm a sinner. And I realize that He is the Savior. And I realize He's the only way to get to heaven. And so what I'm doing is I'm committing my life to following Him. I don't know where He's going to lead, but I'm going to follow I don't know what he's going to tell me to do, but I'm going to follow. I don't know where all I'm going to have to go and what all the intricacies and the details of it are, but I'm going to follow him. 
It begins with obedience to the gospel, that I'm going to obey the gospel when it says to repent. I'm going to obey the gospel when I need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And I'm going to obey the gospel and receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit by surrendering my life completely to Him. That obedience starts there and then it continues to grow. I would say this, most of you in this room, there's few kids, most of you in this room, you've had jobs. And your first day on the job, how many of you knew everything exactly like you were supposed to do it? Anybody? Just one, all right. My first job that I got paid for was working at McDonald's. I didn't even know how to flip the hamburger right. Certain ways you got to do everything. You start a job, you don't know everything. But you learn. You grow into the job. You learn as you go. When I became vice president of Gateway College, St. Louis, I knew nothing about accounting. By the end of the summer, I knew a whole lot about accounting. Still not everything that I needed to know. I worked probably 70 hours that summer. Instead of taking vacations, I worked 70 hours that summer to learn accounting and redo the chart of accounts. And when I just said chart of accounts, I lost half of you right there. I didn't know what a chart of accounts was either. The balance sheet from the P&L, I was like, I wouldn't have known that. Which side of the dual entry accounting, debits and credits? You would think money coming in, well, that's a credit. Well, it depends. It's a credit on the P&L, on the, on the income side, but it's a debit on the asset side of the... So the money goes in your bank, it's actually a debit. That's a, I didn't know that, but I learned it. And what I would tell you is this, you don't know everything it means to follow Jesus. I'm 51 years old, I received the Holy Spirit this 40 years ago this month at the age of 11. November the 12th, 1983. I'm still learning. But here's the deal. As I learn, I got to obey. Lord, this is what you want? Okay, it's what I'm going to do. This is what I need to stop doing? All right, Lord, this is what I'm going I'm to stop doing it. Why? Because I love you. This is what you want me to do? I'm going to start doing it because I love you. And I would tell you that you don't receive the Holy Spirit initially without that obedience to the gospel. And you don't keep the Holy Spirit without obeying His commandments. It is a package deal, starting with the gospel. And in fact, what Jesus would say here in this this section of Scripture is that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. That you're going to learn what you need to do. You're going to learn from your personal Bible study. You're going to learn from going to church. You're going to learn from Sunday school or preaching. The Holy Spirit is also there to be our teacher and to be our guide to help us that when we hear something, we're like, hey, that sounds like truth. Let me see where that is in the Word of God. The Holy Spirit that will prick our hearts and tell us when we're doing that which we should not and we're not doing that which we should be doing. Jesus would tie this helper, this comforter, this coming Holy Spirit with loving Him 
and obeying His commands. But here is the final piece that I want to address today, and that is this. This is found in verse 27, and it is this, that the Holy Spirit is given as our source of peace. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, or let it be fearful. It's an inclusio. An inclusio in the scripture is a parent, a parenthesis, if you would. It's a bookend. Maybe that's a better way to say it. Jesus would start off John 14, if you believe in God, believe also in me. Do not let your hearts be fearful. And he would start up there at the beginning of this text with don't be afraid, don't be fearful. And he would, at the end of this, he would put this common refrain one more time. Don't let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. And he says that in context of this peace that he's going to give. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. It has broad meanings. But ultimately, what it would mean is this. It is the lack of dissension, the lack of conflict, the the lack of enmity. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you peace. We live in a world that is in turmoil. Craziness all around us. Living in the time of the end, and that time of the end can cause worry and anxiety. I know if you've been around me, and we've done any kind of end-time Bible study, I get excited talking about current events. We're like, man, look what's happening. I'm not excited because of the negativity. I'm not excited, but I'm excited because it's the Scripture coming to life. The prophecies of the Scripture tell us that He is soon to come. Our world is crazy. I saw these, it was actually, I saw it on my phone, ad came across my phone last night. We'd just gotten in from Dallas and it said that Jews make up 2.4% of the U.S. population. It said 54 percent of religious hate crimes, though, are against that 2.4 percent of people. Over half of all the hate, religious hate crime in the U.S. is targeted at 2.4 percent of the population. Since Hamas attacked Israel, hate crimes against Jews have gone up 380 percent. what the Bible prophesied, though. You can just look around you in, in all manner of areas where the prophet would say, there's coming a time when they will call that which is evil good, and they will call good evil. That from our news media, to politicians, to the common person on the street walking around, they don't have a clue what's really going on. In Israel, and they don't have a clue about Israel and the prophecies that surround that and 
what God has promised to them as a nation. Craziness and turmoil. And once again, like happened with COVID, people started talking about the end times. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I've, I've heard podcasts after people that never deal with any of this kind of stuff, and they're like, man, what does the Bible say about Israel and Hamas, and what's going on over there? It's, it's brought an attention to the Word of God and the end times. And so because of that, people are in fear and worry, and 19 active volcanoes at once. It's like, man, that's what the Bible's prophesying about this, and you can look around, but in the middle of all of that, he says, my peace I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. So how is the peace that Jesus has given? He says, I don't give it as the world gives. How is his peace different? One thing that makes it different is this. It's a different source. Our peace comes from Jesus. Our peace comes from the only one who can truly give peace. It's different than the world gives because it comes from a different source. And he says the world gives peace. He said they can give you peace, but it's not the real deal. It's a fake because it doesn't last. It's the kind of peace, he says, it doesn't go away. I'm not taking it. It is a gift. It's not peace that is on loan. It's a peace that can be yours forever. A peace that regardless of situation or circumstance, you can be like, man, I've got peace because I know He's with me. I've got peace because I know everything's going to be all right. It doesn't matter what's going on around me. It doesn't matter what's happening on the job. It doesn't matter what's happening at school. It doesn't matter what's happening in my community. I've got peace because... He gives me peace that does not go away. And an important element of this peace that he talks about is this. He says, my peace I give. You don't earn peace. Just like you don't earn salvation. That when you come to Jesus... And you receive the Holy Spirit, you just get the peace that goes with that. As the musicians, singers come, the Bible would say this peace is designed to take away fear and worry. That it is peace, or Paul would write it this way, we have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. He would write to Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind, a sound mind, this healthy mind, this one that doesn't worry and is not anxious, this one that doesn't, doesn't wonder what's going to happen next because we're afraid we're alone. It is a peace that passes all understanding. I was 17, 18 years old, maybe, eating at one of my, well, doing one of my favorite things, which was eating at one of my favorite places, Shoney's. 
Shoney's was one of my favorite places. They have very few of those left. And they had a salad bar. All you could eat. But I say yes. Breakfast buffet, you know. We went there a lot when I was a kid. Growing up, after church, we would have, especially at night, after church on Sunday nights, or even Wednesday nights, when we would have guest speakers in, we'd go to Shoney's. It was one of the only places open in our area, and we'd go to Shoney's. And I would sit with the preachers, while all the preacher, other preachers' kids, they're sitting over on the side talking and cutting up and just listening to what they had to say. It was a Wednesday night, I believe, in Blue Springs, Missouri. We had a missionary that Wednesday night. True to form, we went to Shoney's afterwards. And he said a couple of things, and and I've referenced them a few times. One of those things, topics that he, he mentioned that night was about the will of God. The will of God is that topic that all young people are, especially if you're raised in church, you're like, what is the will of God for my life? What does he want me to do? And some of that's typical whether you're raised in church or not. You're, you're getting, you know, junior in high school or senior in high school. Like, man, what am I supposed to do with my life? Where Am I going to college? Am I going to community college? Am I going to work? Am I going to take... It's a common thing, but when you're raised around church, it's not just what am I going to do, but it's then it, it, it's just what does God want me to do? What's the will of God for my life? Does God want me to go to college? Not just do I want to go, but does God want me to go? Or does God want me to take this job? So he said this, about the will of God that if you want to know the will of God he won't let you miss it and there are people that will say God I want to know your will but the really, the, what they really want is for God's will to be their will God this is what I want and I want you just to tell me that this is what you want because it's what I want anytime God tells you what you want it's not going to turn out so good he said this, when you don't know what else to do, you're trying to make decisions in life, you're trying to figure out what to do, what job to take, and who to marry, what school to go to, he said this little simple phrase, when you're trying to make a decision, then just follow peace, just follow peace. That's played out in my life in numerous situations. Two good options. I could do A or I could do B. Both of them look good. But I feel peace about one and I don't feel peace about the other. I'm following peace. Why? It's because He is the giver of peace. That when everything is going bad around you, the 
peace doesn't have to go away. He doesn't give it as the world gives. When everything's going wrong, you can follow the peace of God. I feel that peace in the room right now. I feel His presence in this room. How do we get that peace ultimately? That peace is between us and God. When we're not walking in His ways and we're not following Him, the Bible would tell us that we are at enmity with Him. That there's dissension between us and God. There's there's something that's separating that fellowship and that relationship. But when we break that wall, through obeying the gospel. In essence, He breaks the wall when we obey the gospel, when we repent of our sins. When we go down in the waters of baptism, we're filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now we have peace with God. We're now His sons and His daughters, and we're now walking with Him. And why does this following peace work? I may have mentioned it last week, week before, I don't remember, but we're not saying, God, come with me where I go. But it's like, God, let me go with you where you're leading, where you're walking. And when we come to the crossroad of decision, we see peace this way feel peace this way and this way we're not so much why is that because Jesus has taken this path if I'm following peace so my call to action today is this receive the spirit today how do you do that it's it's real simple it's repentance and it's surrender. It's saying, God, I'm going to put aside everything to follow you. My own ways, my own ideas, my own thoughts, my own hopes, my own dreams, my all my desires, Lord, I put them aside to follow you. We simply surrender our life to him. Surrender is harder than it sounds because we're giving up our our own will. In essence, not my will. As Jesus would pray in the garden, we have to pray that same thing. Not my will, but thine be done. Lord, I want to follow your will and not mine. And if you've already received the Spirit, then my admonition to you is this follow the Spirit through prayer and through His Word. And when we pray, He speaks to us. It's not a one-way street. It's not just us seeing how much we can talk to Him, but it's us talking to Him and Him talking to us. His Word is Him speaking to us and letting us know what He wants us to do and how to live and how to think and how to act. Thirdly, we follow the Spirit through learning to hear and recognize His said it already, I'm, I'm 51 years old, had the Holy Ghost for 40 years. 
but I'm still learning to hear and recognize His voice. Because there's so many distractions and there's so many things going on in life that I can miss it. I can be busy going my path and miss His voice when He says, hey, go this way. receive the Spirit and then learn to follow it. Learn to recognize and hear His voice. If any of those three things are needed in your life, I'm going to invite you all to stand as they sing and play. I'm going to invite you just to come around the front. And I would tell you there's nothing, once again, there's nothing magical that takes place when you get in front of this front row but there's something that's faith building when you step out of where you are and you come and say God I want everything you have I'm just coming before your throne of grace one more time so all across the room would you just step out would you come to the front right now would you pray and seek the face of the Lord